Welcome to Kingdom Testimony. This is Lisa and today is the final installment of the book we're reading, Intramuros, written by Rebecca Ruder Springer. In the book, she is, uh, she, her name is Bertha Sprague. Um, so we've been going through this book, just kind of looking at it. Is it biblical? She even admits it, it, she's not calling it a revelation. She's, she's, it basically to her maybe seemed like a dream, but also very real. Like, was it a near death experience? Um, you know, don't know. Um, but today is the final, uh, it's the part two of the supplemental chapter. And I broke it up into two parts because it's quite lengthy. <clears throat> and she's she did a supplemental chapter to answer to the people that question her about her experience. And she's basically just saying, I don't know, this is what happened to me. Um, she's kind of defending it, but kind of not. It's like, all I can say is, is this is what happened to me. And so let's finish what um what she wrote in that supplemental chapter okay she goes on in several instances the subject of dual marriages has been introduced more than once it has been suggested if a man marrying in early life and being devotedly attached to the woman he has married should unfortunately lose her and after many years of solitary waiting solitary waiting Find another congenial soul to whom his whole heart goes out and marriage is the result. And they have many years of wedded happiness together before she too is called. To whom will he belong in the other life? In the many phases of the divine life that seem to come to me in my vision, such thoughts as the above were never by any means suggested. Speaking from my own natural intuitions, I cannot but think that as soon as the immortal part of us leaves the earthly tenement, it lays down forever with that tenement, all thoughts that embarrassed or grieved or pained the spirit. In the homes of heaven, there was perpetual love and joy and peace and happiness without measure. This one thing I know, in heaven are no conflicting ties, no questions that vex, no conditions that annoy. The whole heart springs up to do the will of the Father and nothing less than that will suffice. In answer to the question in many instances proposed to me as to whether I consider this experience as a revelation, I can only say as heretofore that I gave it as it came to me and everyone must draw his own inference concerning it. I can be the guide for no one. There are some seeming inconsistencies in the book of which I myself am aware. Looking back upon it after nearly four years have passed, it seems to me to be more a series of instructions, such as we give little children here in a kindergarten. It does not purport to be a revelation of what has been or what will be, in the strict sense of the word, but as I have already suggested, more as we would teach children in a kindergarten. I myself noticed, in transcribing this strange experience, the fact that the first lesson to be taught almost invariably came as an illustration and after my wonder and pleasure had taken in all that the picture itself would teach, then followed the revelation or a general application of its meaning. 
For instance, that I may make my meaning more clear, when I myself first entered within the gates, I was shown the wonders of the celestial gardens and the magic of the beautiful river, then the meeting with the dear ones from whom I had been so long parted. And so I came to know the rapture of the disembodied spirit on its first entrance within the walls. Afterwards followed the instruction or first lessons concerning this life, into which I seemed to have entered, until, as I said, the first illustrations and the instructions formed for me but one perfect lesson. And when, as time passed, I met and welcomed my dear sister, my husband, and my son, I knew the other side of the question. The joy that came even to the angels in heaven when they welcomed the beloved ones who came to them from the world below. And so all through the book the instruction was invariably preceded by the illustration. Thus I can but think if any meaning can be attached to this strange vision, that it is simply a lesson in a general way of what we may expect and hope for when we reach the thither shore. Again the question is many times repeated, does this experience retain its vividness as time passes, or does it grow unreal and dreamlike to you? I can partially forget some of the happiest experiences of my earth life, but time seems only to intensify to me the wonders of those days when my feet really stood upon the borderland of the two worlds. Yeah, I want to interject here. Let's not forget, she was nearly dead. Um, I guess we could call this a near-death experience. So, you know, it has some credence, just like anybody else's near-death experience would. If you're in that situation, we, any, I don't think any person should be like, oh, pff, you don't, you don't know what you're talking, you know, I mean, being near death is being near death. That's pretty final. Okay, let's go on. It seemed to me that at every step we took in the divine life, our souls reached up towards something better, and we had no inclination to look behind to that which had passed, or to try to solve what in our mortal life have been intricate or perplexing questions or mysteries. Like the cup that is filled to overflowing at the fountain with pure and sparkling water, so our souls were filled, more than filled, with drafts from the fountain of all good, until there was no longer room for aught else. How then, you ask, could you reach out for more when you had all that you could receive? Because moment by moment, hour by hour, our souls grew and expanded and opened to receive fresh drafts of that divine instruction, which was constantly lifting us near to the source of all perfection. Okay, interjection for me. Now that makes more sense. That makes more sense. Let's go on. Some of the letters that have come to me have been so pathetic in their inquiries that they have called forth sympathetic tears an intense longing to speak with authority upon the questions raised. That privilege God has not given me. I can only tell how it seemed to me in those blissful hours when earth seemed remote and heaven very near and real. One suffering mother writes, Do you think I could pray still for my darling girl? How I long to take her in sympathetic arms and whisper to her that the dear child of her love I doubted not was praising God continually and had no longer need of earthly prayer. 
She loved and trusted the Savior as she went down into the valley of shadows, and his loving arms received and comforted her. To all such, I would say, and many are the letters of like, import received. Look up, dear friends, and see the loved ones, as I saw those so dear to me, happy and blessed beyond all human conception in the house of many mansions prepared for us by our loving Father. Oh, those wonderful mansions upon which my longing heart looks back. Believe in them, look forward to them, beloved friends, for we have the Savior's promise that they at least are there. In my Father's house are many mansions. His promises never fail, and I am sure of one thing. They will not be less beautiful than those I looked upon in my vision. This thought to me answers in a measure the questions asked in regard to dual marriages. My own belief of this mortal life is that no two friends can occupy the same place in our hearts. Each heart is filled with chambers stately and old, and to each beloved guest is assigned a chamber exclusively for himself. That room is always his. If death or distance or even disgrace separates him from us, still the room is his and his only forever. No other person can ever occupy it. Others may have rooms equally choice, but when a guest has once departed from the room he has held in another heart, the door of that room is barred forever. It is held inviolate, sacred to the departed guest. And so in heaven, each guest has his separate room or home. In my father's house are many mansions. I go to, go to prepare a place, room, for you. I am no advocate of second marriages. The thought of two lives alone as one is beautiful to me, but I do not, all the same, believe that a man sins against the memory of a wife beloved and lost, when he places by her side, not in her place, a good woman to cheer and brighten his home. She cannot, if she would, take the place left vacant in his home and heart. It is inviolate. I speak, of course, of true marriages where not only hands are joined, but hearts and souls are knit together as one forever. What are the duties of heaven? So many and varied, I should judge, as to make the question unanswerable. Much in intramuros shows the trend of daily life. Rest, one of the duties as well as the pleasures of heaven. Rest does not of necessity mean inactivity. How often in this life does laying aside one duty and taking up another bring rest to both mind and body? Still as I have found it, there was at times absolute rest for both mind and body in that blissful repose that only heaven can give. In but one instance of the manifold letters received was any feeling produced in their perusal except that of pleasure and gratitude that I, with so little physical strength of my own, could bring comfort and pleasure into the lives of others. I thank our gracious Father that he has so kindly permitted it. The one letter to which I refer contains so many almost puerile questions that I simply laid it aside with a quotation from St. Paul of the earth earthy and asked the Father to lift the heart of the writer into a purer light. In conclusion, I can only reiterate that I am no prophet I am no seer, but in my inmost soul I honestly believe that if the joys of heaven are greater, if the glories within the walls 
are more radiant than I in my vision beheld them. I cannot understand how even the immortal spirit can bear to look upon them. So that is the end. Um, there is one more chapter by a, another author I'm not going to read. Um, it's more of a teaching thing, um, quite lengthy, and so it's not part of the testimony. So there we go. <clears throat> that is the end of the book. And make out of it what you will. <laughs> I remember when I read it, oh boy, 30 years, no, 30 years ago? Yeah, about. Um, I was really taken with it. I was a brand new Christian and I thought, wow, you know, because people don't talk about what heaven is like much unless you look into now nowadays you can look up YouTube videos and internet and all that and find all kinds of accounts of near-death experiences but um, back then if you could find a, an account from somebody it was like wow you know there was guideposts that had a book out of stuff like that but it was like oh wow this is something to really think about now all these years later and all these years of bible study and all that you know it's it's like wow that happened to her that's that's cool that that happened to her that's her understanding and apparently that's the way the lord wanted her to understand it so there we go um and i will be taking a few weeks off i am going on a trip and so hope to be back sometime later in September with something new for you, a new testimony, new things to glorify God. So I pray you have a blessed day and thank you for listening.